sorry, this is wild to me. I love that there's like, you know, there's a whole lot of people out there who are really into like horny alien books and people are writing them. Um, yes, over here. <laughs> yeah, they're right here. <laughs> And welcome to a bonus episode of Romancing the Monsters. I'm Em. I'm Seth. And today, Seth and I have the honor of having a very special guest. We have Lyndall Clipstone here with us to talk about her debut novel, Lake's Edge. Um, I mean, first off, thank you so much for taking time out of your very busy day <laughs> to talk to us about your book. So hello, welcome to Romance and the Monsters. <laughs> hello. <laughs> Yay. Welcome. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's so fun to be here. I love listening to your podcast so much, so it's very cool to be on here as a guest. You have the behind the scenes. <laughs> I know. It's very fun to see this little peek behind the curtain after listening to it. <laughs> um, so. Oh, this is obviously going to be in like an interview style uh, episode but if you want like a more in-depth uh, discussion of the book Steph and I did record that it is up on our page so if you want to go listen to that after this episode uh, feel free to do so now um, I want to quickly mention um, that the book, since we are recording this in the past and this is going up in the future, uh, the book is out uh, as this is live. The book is out. It's been out for a few days. Um, so you can purchase it uh, if you are in Australia, Canada or the United States. And if I'm correct, it will be releasing in the UK in October. Is that correct? Yeah, October the 12th, it comes out in the UK and like the rest of the Commonwealth with Titan, Titan books. Okay, so you can go and pre-order that. Yeah. Yeah. So before we begin, just in case uh, some of our listeners are maybe not as familiar with what Lake's Edge is about. Um, and this is no disrespect to you, Seth, because you do a fabulous job every week of telling us <laughs> what the book we're reading is about. <laughs> but we do have the author here with us today. So, Lindahl, would you mind quickly describing what your book is about? Sure. So, Lake's Edge is the first part of a duology. It's a young adult gothic fantasy romance, and it is about Violetta Graceling, who goes to stay at Haunted Lake's Edge Estate with the monster of Lake's Edge. And when she starts to fall in love with him and finds out he's cursed, she decides to team up with the Lord of the Dead to try and save him. Da, da, da. That's... <laughs> <laughs> um, fair warning, this episode might be a bit spoilery um, in terms of like the questions we ask as well as the answers that we receive. Um, so yeah, let's just get right into it. So as we were recording our episode, uh, the discussion about the book, we kind of had some questions, some burning questions we wanted to ask you. Um, so the first one that um, we have is, what is it that draws you to monsters in particular? And what was the first monster you remember loving or identifying with growing up? So I was born in the late 80s, and I think there's just so much very formative monster romance media from the early 90s that I just oh, yes. totally imprinted on. Like, obviously Labyrinth with David Bowie, 
is a big one. Um, Interview with the Vampire, mm-hmm. Bram Stoker's Dracula, all of Tim Burton's films. Oh, so yeah. I think it was just, I was always like a bit of a weird kid, like this witchy sort of kid who loved all of the monsters and villains and things. And I remember being bitterly disappointed when I watched Disney's Beauty and the Beast and the Beast turned back into a prince. I was just like, <laughs> that is the same. <laughs> that is me. And I was like, but it was so much cuter as the Beast. <laughs> right? And the same with like wanting Sarah to stay in the labyrinth with the Goblin King, even though like it is me completely too. like a completely inappropriate relationship. And it was like narratively a sensible choice for her to leave. So I think even just as a kid where I couldn't really like put a name to it, I was always very drawn to that kind of monster maiden dynamic. Um, And then as an adult, I did like an English literature degree. And one of the texts we studied was Silence of the Lambs. And so Starling and Lecter, like that was just this moment where I'm like, oh, okay, this is kind of interesting. This is the sort of dynamic that I want in like, the romance yeah. that I write and things like that. Just the bit at the end where she's like, oh, he won't come after me because that would be rude. Like this concept of being like the one who is safe from the monster is just something mm-hmm. I've always really loved to explore. For me, it's always something I talk about on the podcast is that I look up fan fiction when the beast is still a beast because I just loved Belle and his dynamic when he was a beast. They were just so cute. Um, so speaking of the influences that you've uh, you've just talked about, how did any of them make it into the novel like whether it was books or movies or tv shows or whatever yeah I mean I think definitely you can see like a lot of labyrinth kind of vibes in there whether they were sort of yeah intentional or unintentional maybe it just kind of like came out of your id <laughs> yeah <laughs> it just said it came out of nowhere um like my subconscious kind of crept in there but the original concept for Lake Sedge was actually what if the secret garden was a gothic romance so i grew up reading this really beautiful illustrated version of the book that um our neighbor had given to me as a gift and then the there's always like the 90s movie and it's just this very like so much potential for like this romantic kind of gothic twist to the story so there's like this big secretive house with all the locked up rooms and then like the hurt comfort with the the nightmares and this idea of like finding your way out of grief through mm. like sort of a, a sentient landscape kind of situation. I don't know. I think there was just something about that that I always liked the idea of using as the background to like a romantic sort of grown up kind of story. And it was done so well. We talked about this in our episode, in our discussion, um, how it's so like that's what's so interesting about gothic novels to me. It's how the environment of the characters sort of reflect what the characters are going through like their inner turmoil Mm -hmm. and emotional journey is all like reflected around them and like suddenly it's like almost like nature is a character or like houses become characters and yeah it's so interesting it was really well done too in Lake's Edge I'm so glad to hear that yeah setting as a character is sort of one of my favorite things both to read and write it's just it's really really fun to play with as a writer making that sort of atmosphere happen so you briefly mentioned uh 
you know, your a journey with grief and stuff. And um, one thing we do on the podcast, which is where our name comes from, uh, we talk about the monster of the story. Um, so just briefly, I'll just explain for the listeners in case they're not familiar with our definition of what is a monster in a story. Uh, obviously, we love to read about monstrous beings, but um, we do like to think of it as also the monsters that we all have within ourselves. Um, in some cases, for some people, it's a fear. Um, sometimes it's just struggles, traumatic pasts. Um, anything that that the characters need to work through in order to reach their own bliss, in order to complete their character journey. Um, so what was the monster in your book? We discussed it, <laughs> but we would like to know what you think the monster in your own book was. And also, um, how did you come about choosing that for characters? Why was it so important for those characters to have those struggles? I really love this question. It's always really fun to look at like, what's the monster beyond like the yeah. actual physical monster? It's mm -hmm. such a fun thing. Um, so I think it's probably like self-sacrifice mm, for me. Yeah. Like, yes. Letta will just throw herself down in the path of danger for, to save everyone she loves, even though all of them are like, please don't do this. And, like, she's so protective of Arian, and it stifles him to the point where he's like, you know what, I'm going to go with this guy who murdered his whole family and fight his, like, creepy cursed magic because, like, I want a chance to, like, just try to live on my own and take control of my own life. And so... Mm -hmm. There's this constant sort of like, it's such a fatal flaw with her where she's kind of like, let me throw myself down in the path of danger to save you all. Yeah. Even though it's actually like, she thinks it's the right thing, but it's actually kind of damaging to everyone she loves. And then Rowan is kind of the same. Like he basically cursed himself and we is being right. slowly destroyed. <laughs> you were right. I know, we were. Pat on the back. Because <laughs> he's like, you know, whatever, I'll be cursed. I'll be destroyed because that's preferable to like, you know, asking for help or having an honest conversation with somebody. Exactly. You know, it's fine. And so even when he does ask for help, he does it so begrudgingly and keeps as much of the burden for himself as possible. Like they're there trying to fix the thing in the ritual and then he's like sneaking out at night between to like feed the tides of blood to the corruption. And he's like, don't tell anyone that I have to do this. It doesn't matter. And so there's just like this sort of, like this kind of Spider-Man meme of Letter and Rowan when they meet each other and they're both like, oh, okay, this is like what, you know, my terrible like fatal flaw reflected in like another person. and this moment of connection that they have where they yeah. both sort of realize, even though their lives have been very different, that they've made these sort of terrible choices in. I do love how similar they were, Rowan and Letta. I felt like they really mirrored each other, but they still had their differences. Yeah, I think it was kind of like, there was, it was interesting seeing like how their very different personalities had sort of both gone in a very similar situation. Yeah. I liked that a lot. And I, I thought that the conversation that she has with Aaron was so important when he, you know, he's her little brother and yet he's the one who's more mature in this situation is like, you don't realize that by sacrificing yourself like this, like you are in a way forcing the people that you love to hurt, Yeah, which is what you're trying to stop them from feeling, but you're hurting them anyways, because now we're going to have to learn to live without you, which is you know, just as painful. So yeah. I really thought, I, I just loved how 
his perspective on the matter because I thought it was really in- like important for Leta to hear that because it's like yeah you yeah. can throw yourself into the fire but like think about the people that you love you know and just this sort of thing about how he's like you never asked me if this is what I wanted like all of these things that you've done for me yeah. and you know like all of this time I've had to stand back and watch you be hurt and watch you put yourself in danger and like you never sort of stop to think like maybe I wanted to share some of the burden like maybe I wanted to help you so I, I really liked that scene um that was like such a nice sibling moment between them where she kind of gets like the the real talk from Arian and he's just yeah. like oh yeah. my god I'm so tired of your, <laughs> your crap but yeah I it's really interesting actually because I've seen like from early readers like a lot of reactions where people really dislike Letta because of how she is like I've got sort of reviews where they're like she's so selfish and she makes all of these really she's stupid a choices <laughs> she yes and I couldn't stand reading about it because it was so unredeeming and I'm just like yes exactly like yeah. I've done a really good job writing her if that elicits such a strong reaction from somebody because she is flawed and she does make stupid messy choices and I think especially as like a 17 year old like it's it felt very important to me to show Mm -hmm. like a teen character who isn't perfect and who does make mistakes because exactly it's it's much more interesting to write but also like I think as a reader like isn't it more enjoyable to watch a character sort of struggle who isn't perfect yeah and I do feel like main characters kind of sometimes suffer from um I guess, being too perfect. Yes, exactly. And I loved that Letta had her flaws and as well as like her strengths. And I love that both of them came into play in this book. Yeah I, yeah, I love books that make me stop and think, why do I feel this way towards the character? Like, why am I angry or why am I annoyed? And usually like I have to tell myself, well, that's because they're real. You know, that's because mm-hmm. they're complex, real characters and multi-dimensional yes, and they act like us and I'm sure I annoy people sometimes you know so <laughs> I just you have to think about that and I'm like you know what this is bold decisions from authors who are like you know what I'm not gonna let my main character be perfect because I'm gonna let them be as real as possible yeah and when you think about it it's very cool to be able to create like you know this is like something that I've just kind of made up out of words yeah and she feels like a real person like real enough to be frustrated with yes. and you know wanting her to make different choices and things like that it's like it's kind of a little bit magical really yeah so yes I'm sorry she's not perfect but I keep thinking about no we love her as a 17 year old and I it's maybe it's not perfect but it's definitely very authentic yeah (laughs) yeah of course um speaking of Letta actually uh we wanted to ask you um one of the conversations that we had was about the fact that in your novel, Leta is a 17-year-old girl who is allowed to, you know, there's this romantic arc in throughout the book, obviously, <laughs> um, and she's allowed to um, feel desired and act on her own desires in your book yeah. in a really beautiful way. Um, and I wanted to ask you about this because I do feel like in recent years, I feel like there's been like a... Um, I feel like books have pulled back from showing teenage desire as if it's like a taboo thing that like, you know, teenagers shouldn't feel 
Um, but I do feel like maybe the last two or three years in publishing, like we've seen that sort of coming back and like teenagers are once again allowed to be teenagers with desires and Yay. it's not taboo. Yeah. Um, There's nothing better than a whole bunch of like adults on Twitter arguing about like teenage sex. Should teenagers have sex or not? You, oh, yeah. <laughs> I remember when um the last book in the Cruel Prince series came out and there was so many people arguing about Jude and Carden having sex and how Holly oh Black had God. written it. And I'm just like, do we really need to be having this conversation? Like it's just It's for the teens. Know. Let them have their <laughs> books, you know? Yeah. Um but yeah, so my my question was, um, Obviously, this you made the choice to have this be a part of Lita's, you know, emotional journey and romantic journey. So why was that important for you? And what does it mean for you to to see teenagers be teenagers on page? I think I just really it was really important to me to write the sort of book that I kind of wanted and needed to read as a teenager. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I would like to think things have changed since, you know, I was a teenager. But then when you see these conversations coming up still maybe not like I think there's a quite a tendency to look on especially like teen girl desire as sort of dirty or shameful or yeah like a taboo um and I definitely felt that as a teenager myself like this sort of idea of like you know if you if you liked if you had desirous feelings it was like sort of you know slutty or it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't okay Um, And so I sort of, I wanted to write the type of romance that like I sort of would have loved to see modeled much more as a young person where it was sort of very essentially lush and romantic and unapologetically desirous, but but in like a, in an age appropriate kind of way as well. Like I think there's this real sort of like tenderness to it of her kind of having this moment of being allowed to like be loved and want something and sort of lean into those feelings um Mm -hmm. and I I think it could be very like it's very empowering for her but perhaps would also be empowering for readers too so yeah yeah so that was why it was very important to me to model like the sort of the moments of like very sexy consent like in the the romance scene where he's like they're sort of but very like asking each other asking yeah that was so important and I loved that moment in the book. Very verbal sort of consent and like the discussion of contraception and things oh, yeah. like that. So yeah. <laughs> Clearly yeah. She's like, I've got tea. You can drink it. <laughs> she's just like, oh, okay, cool. The famous tea. <laughs> I feel like it's something that should be talked about. And I feel like having it and seeing it in books and in stories and things like that, it kind of makes it more, I guess, something that you can talk about because you do see it and it is happening on page. And I love that. I think teenagers of today, they need to know it's not shameful. <laughs> yeah, and like I really, I think I would have really appreciated as a teen just seeing in media or having someone sort of take me aside and say, this is not something that you need to be ashamed of. This is like a normal, like feeling part of being human. I mean, not everybody has romantic feelings, obviously, yeah. but it's of like course. if you do, it's it's okay. And so yeah. I think like the fact that letter is just so unashamedly horny for all of the monsters is just like such an inspiration, but can relate. <laughs> I can relate. She's just like, she's sort of, yeah. I mean, and I just, I, it was a nice part of her arc as well. Like it's sort of, there was this 
this is sort of like in in general like being at lake such is kind of like the first time that she gets to claim anything for herself yes exactly like of bedroom and new clothes and books and this kind of life where she doesn't have to be like afraid in the way she has been before and I think like the desire for Rowan is kind of another part of that it's like this moment where she's like oh like I want to be with this other person and maybe it's okay for me to actually do that and also like the world is kind of falling apart around her and so she's (laughs) kind of taking a moment and being like you know what I deserve this moment of peace (laughs) yeah I want you know and yeah that's great we kind of we're kind of edging a subject which is um lord under (laughs) (laughs) yeah we haven't even talked about him yet how could we (laughs) so speaking of being horny for monsters um (laughs) (laughs) Seth and i um we feel like there were hades and persephone vibes to this book specifically the relationship question mark between um (laughs) lord under and letta um you know we did notice the pomegranates we noticed that um Mm -hmm. we noticed letta's affinity for you know growing plants so we just wanted to know was this intentional put us out of our misery are we reading too much into this (laughs) it was yeah it was definitely intentional like i have just always loved the myth of Hades and Persephone since I first heard it I remember like my school librarian telling it to us when I was a kid and like again like with watching all of the labyrinths and things like that I just had this moment of like hmm um that I couldn't really name it was just something that appealed to me and so I think in writing those scenes I just decided to let myself be completely indulgent when writing the Hades and Persephone thing like you know like the pomegranate tree and the the calling to the underworld and things like that and actually the gardening part was very actually not really intentional like that wasn't meant to be sort of like a core reference it was more that my dad growing up was actually a really really good horticulturalist and oh so all of the seeds from Letta where she's sort of channeling like her dad growing flowers with magic is kind of based on that so I grew up in this house where there was always like bags of seeds everywhere and trays of cuttings growing because he would go out and like collect sort of seeds and cuttings from rare native plants to try and propagate them. And he definitely set me up for like very like high expectations because I am like not a good gardener at all. I'm just like, what do you mean you can't just like break a piece of plant off and stick it in the ground and then like it grows (laughs) into a tree because that's how it looked when you did it. So it was a lot of fun being able to put that into the book um, and have like turn it sort of into like real magic, I guess. So I think unintentionally she became this kind of like yeah. nature, force of nature because of that. As much as I would love to be Persephone, I will literally kill anything that's green. Oh my gosh, same. I cannot. Yeah. <laughs> I'm really good at growing indoor plants, like devil's ivy and things like that. The ones where you can just like put them in a jar of water and grow them. I that's would probably fine, kill that yeah. too. <laughs> no, mine die. Mine die miserably yeah. and quickly. They do. Um, so, sorry. Speaking of your uh, your dad, was that kind of like an inspiration behind the death realm being a forest, or was there any specific intent or message behind it? It was so interesting to us because I'm someone that kind of only sees like a different side of the underworld, like the traditional or like what you would think the underworld would look like. You see that on media, and you see like you read that in books. So, like, was there any thought behind uh, portraying it as a death? Like- I- 
think a forest? I wanted it to feel a bit like a negative image of the world above and of the mm. estate. So Lakes had just got this very like lush, sort of vibrant summer garden. And then when she slips through to the world below, it's kind of dark and misty and gloomy. So it's this like opposite kind of feel to the um like what she's used to. And I think that plays out a lot more in uh Forest Fall as well, where she spends a lot more time in the world below and is notices the differences between the two (laughs) yeah you definitely get to see more of the world below in um, book two which is it's been a lot of fun to write so we we did notice that uh the the world under was suddenly changing for her yeah Mm -hmm. wink wink nudge nudge (laughs) (laughs) to be continued to be continued i mean that's the thing the lord under does promise to mend her and send her home but he uh even though he can't lie he's very good at not like you know twisting words to fit yeah so i feel like she's going to be kind of annoyed when she figures out what he's actually done Uh (laughs) it's going to be good i can't wait for everyone to read it but yeah so it's just i like the idea of it being like this negative image of like the garden that she grew herself and also this idea of it feeling kind of enclosed like this sort of very separated world you know like there's no Mm -hmm. sky and the whole like world as far as you can see is just trees and Mm -hmm. yeah so it's like even though it's quite this big open forest it still feels quite like claustrophobic in a way yeah Mm -hmm. uh, (laughs) (laughs) no um i also had this really um this question um that i don't know if you can answer it might just be um spoilery for the next book or it might just be something that you could answer maybe not anyways so is there any way you can shed some light on this three-way connection happening between lord under (laughs) letta and rowan because as we were reading and discussing it we kind of were intrigued by it because of like letta has a connection with rowan because of the sigils on their arm and then she also has a, a strange connection with lord under but like somehow in the end it kind of seems like is there a connection with all of them? Yeah, I mean, I don't really want to spoil anything for book two, but I will say of they course. have a kind of love triangle without it being a love triangle. So I didn't want it to be like, oh no, she's torn between two boyfriends and everyone's jealous and, you know. Um, but she does have an emotional connection to both of them and be like, as well as like the magical kind of connection too, where she's tied to Rowan with the sigil she's tied to the Lord Under because she's the only one who can see and summon him and touch him <laughs> they're also kind of like <laughs> and touch him yes important details <laughs> like oh we can touch each other now and she's just like okay <laughs> this is way more and he was like intrigued <laughs> yeah I, I I was excited about that so I mean and the touching thing as well like she's the she's has the ability to kind of be alive in the world of the dead which is sort of unique to her so she does have this kind of connection that makes her special slash perhaps useful to him in his eyes um but yeah she's like and they're also tied to like these formative emotional moments in her life you know like he's this, the the monster that led her out of the woods as a child and yeah. then Rowan's her first love so I think they're all kind of very bound up together but Rowan too kind of he's quite inextricably bound to the Lord Under in perhaps a different way. I mean, he's sort of... Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, his whole life's been shaped by the fact that the Lord Under saved him. And then, like, when he broke his promise that, you know, like, the punishment that kind of got meted out because of it. 
and like he literally has part of the Lord Under's magic inside of him because yeah. of the corruption. So it's this kind of thing of like, you know, like the the three of them were kind of very tangled up together in a way that like perhaps can never be untied. So I guess watch, watch this space and see how it turns out. But if anyone wants to write OT3 fanfic, you 100% have my permission. <laughs> I will say that um, embarrassingly enough, uh, for a while when I was reading, I was so torn between Rowan and Lord Under that I was like, is it possible that somehow they're the same person? <laughs> so I don't have to choose. That would be, that would be really fun. <laughs> like, that would be a fun thing to play with. But no, they're just like very kind of, it's kind of like a weird, messy, tangled up. It will be a lot of fun to write and figure out in book two. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm excited to see how that develops further in book two. Um, but speaking of Rowan's connection with Lord Under, um, Letta and him kind of have the same experiences where, like, they almost died, but then they got saved by Lord Under. Is there a reason why um, Rowan cannot do the same thing that Letta does, which is, like, speak to him, summon him, and even obviously touch him? Is there... <laughs> Is there a reason why, or is that maybe something explored in book two? Um, so it's, he does sort of, the Lord Under does sort of explain it to Letta when she, when she summons him in the parlor the first time, and she sort of says to him, like, why didn't you come back for me? Like, why haven't you gone to Rowan to, like, sort this out? And it's kind of, like, a, a bit of, like, chaos magic sort of thing where whenever the Lord Under encounters someone it leaves behind a mark so like for mm. Arian it was his dark alchemy and then later like when he saves Arian from the ritual how he gets the wounds on his arms and then for Rowan it was the water of the lake turning black when he came back to life and then for Letter it was this ongoing connection that was always sort of there between them and then when she came to Lake Sedge because of the corruption and everything being there it was like that kind of reawakened so the Lord Under doesn't really have any control over what outcome his okay. like, touch on people's lives will have. It's just like kind of the price of, you know, coming close to death and going back because you've kind of broken the balance of the world. So his blunder letter is kind of like a surprise to them both and not okay. something that he expected to have with anyone. And so when he realizes that it's there, like it's at first he's just kind of sort of seeing it as something that could be useful to him. But then as it goes along like yeah I mean obviously okay. it's I you know it's kind of plot convenient but sometimes you just need to go with these things to no make I love happen. it but yeah I mean like and Rowan sort of talks about it a little bit about how like you know he tried like he only sort of spoke to the Lord under once no one else has ever been able to see see him either like see his face and that's sort of there's that moment where Letta sort of sees what he truly looks like with like all the sort of fractured eyes and mouths yeah. and everything yes. and then he kind of settles into like her fa her brain making sense of like the a shape putting like a face on this impossible creature so like Roland's never been able to see him and like he's only sort of heard his voice a couple of times and then when he realized that he wanted to redo the bargain he sort of says to her like I tried to call him back like I tried to summon him and then in doing that he kind of just made the corruption so it's not really like a cut and dry kind of strict rules sort of things I don't know it felt appropriate to have this kind of like wild chaotic magic seeing as it's dealing with like death and life and everything and um, yeah speaking of getting close enough to death to touch it um 
a book that we absolutely adore on this podcast, and I think that you love it as well, is Katura and Lord Death by Martini yes. Evitt. We so actually good. have a whole episode on it in which we mostly just fangirl. Um, but... About Lord Death. <laughs> <laughs> How can you not, though? He is just the best. Um, so I wanted to ask you, what do you think is the appeal of characters that are like the personification of death sort of like like your lord under or lord death um what do you think is so attractive about them there's just there's like a i don't i don't even know there's like a you're you just feel pulled towards them if that makes sense yeah i mean i think there's just something really powerful in making death which is like in real life like a very scary and unavoidable thing into this force that can kind of be interacted interacted with and yeah. especially mm-hmm. like personifying it as a figure of romance it's kind of like a way of seizing control perhaps like seizing control of fear of mortality i yeah. don't know yeah and like i said before i've always been kind of drawn to this idea of like the one the monster won't hurt or the one who's safe from the monster yes. and maybe it's like yes. if you're the one who who death loves or who can fall in love with death it's like this way of like escaping mortality or escaping the inevitability of death not to say like I I really liked how they handled it in Keturah and Lord Death because when she does choose to go with him it's quite it's quite bittersweet like she's sort of she's giving up like oh I'm giving up the children that I'll never have and like you know like like my life with you is not going to be like the human life that I'd always sort of imagined and so I like that how there was still sort of a sacrifice in the becoming like the immortality of becoming Death's Bride or whatever but yeah, I don't know. I think it's just, it's a really powerful way to look at something that's frightening and kind of take control of it. I love that. Taking control of death. <laughs> death is like the one thing that controls everything in a way. Like death has control over life. So yeah. if you have control over death, then you're pretty much on top of the world. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really fascinating to me how things have changed like when you look back at like especially like Victorian era sort of mourning culture how death was like kind of glorified in a way or not glorified but you know like it was there was a reverence to it and now it's sort of like everybody kind of it's not quite the same sort of feeling it's something that's kind of feared and not spoken of and I maybe there's like something in that idea of like embracing death turning into something that you can love or humanize in a way like that sort of makes it less frightening perhaps I don't know I mean in fiction like I definitely like get a lot of existential terror in real life thinking about you know like I've got children and sometimes they're like what's gonna happen when you die and I'm just like oh please don't ask me that I don't know I'll just create it (laughs) it's like in a book is fine that's good yeah so Speaking of things that, you know, books, TV shows, etc. that we love, um, there's, you know, a recurring series that we have on the podcast, which we called Catch Up and Chill. Um, in it, we kind of discuss the books that or TV shows or movies that um, we're really loving at the moment or that we loved. So, you know, we were just wondering, do you have things that you would like to share with us and our listeners that you think they would love? Um, I've been listening to and watching like a very eclectic mix of things at the moment. So I'm currently like, as we're recording this, um, like a week out from my Australian pub release date and about a month out from Lake Sedge coming out. And I'm on deadline for Forest Bowl. So I'm just very like kind of 
vibrating on this like yeah. level of stress. So I've been binge watching The Golden Girls because there's just something oh, very love that show. soothing <laughs> and nostalgic about this show. Like I never watched it as a, like when it was on TV when I was a kid, mm-hmm. but I always sort of saw it around and it's just kind of like, there's something about it. It kind of reminds me of my grandma and like, I don't know, it's just, it's very soothing. So I've been watching that like on the background while I'm cleaning the house or doing other things. But Probably like a more fun recommendation would be I'm about a third of the way through For the Wolf by Hannah mm, Witten, which yes. oh that's on my list. It's so good. I was really lucky enough to read like a very early version of it um, like a while ago when Hannah and I swapped books. But it's just like one of those stories where I feel like it was just written exactly for me, which I'm sure like Aww. there's probably like a million people out there who feel the same, but it's just... Probably every Raylo on Earth. Every, every Raylo on Earth. <laughs> Uh, there's even like this very like railer moment in there where she sort of does something in the past and like they have this like she's like wait I saw you in the past when I did this thing and I'm just like oh, oh yes my Raylo vibes perfect your book also has some Raylo moments too I didn't miss them yeah I kind of see like the Raylo moments for me I think I again it was probably like this sort of subconscious yeah. thing when I was drafting yeah. it like I think I had seen I'd seen the first movie at least before I wrote Lake Sedge. And then I think while I was revising it, I kind of went deep into like a Raylo <laughs> moment and was watching the films and reading like a ton of fanfic and just really like, I had a lot of feelings about how it ended. And so I think I kind of needed to like yeah. soothe myself a bit. And so especially when I was writing Forest Fall, I think I was kind of like, this is my like Raylo revisionist ending. Your revenge. <laughs> yes. A redemption arc yes. for... Just yeah, the rest of how I would have liked it to sort of like end Pen a out. bit differently. And yeah. yeah, so I'm like, you know what? Maybe I'll just try and channel that into how I'm wanting to write it. But yeah, For the Wolf is just, I'm sort of trying to take it slowly and save every moment because it's just so perfect and just exactly the sort of book that I'm always seeking out when I go to read things. It's like beautifully written and so romantic and the dynamic between Red and Eamon is just so perfect and Oh my god. Yeah. I'm more excited to read that. Yeah, we need to we need to try and read it for the podcast for sure. Yeah, I think you really enjoy it. It makes me really happy to see like a very romance heavy book doing so well. Like it's just really lovely seeing these sort of like romantic fantasy stories becoming like widely read and widely embraced because I think it is something that people want and I think there's definitely a tendency for people to be dismissive over romantic books like even one of my trade reviews was something like oh well like fans of romance will probably overlook like the fact that it's predictable and I'm like listen all right romance is good romance is so good (laughs) sorry that I'm not writing like war and peace over here but you know like romance is perfect (laughs) and I read so much just like regular romance as well but sometimes there's just this really lovely like the blend of like a full like plotted out fantasy world with like the yeah. heavy romance it's just absolutely perfect it's so good who was one of your go-to authors like romance authors um I love Tessa Dare mm. um, oh I love her too yeah she's my favorite I think I probably read almost everything of hers I really love the Spindle Clove series and Goddess of the Hunt was the first book that I read by her which is um that's not spindle cove but it's like a fake dating so she's got a crush on like this guy's friend and to make him jealous she's like if we could like you could teach me how to seduce him to like you say he'll marry me and then obviously like they fall in love with each other (laughs) i know i love that trope too and i don't think i've read that one 
So I guess I might have another book to read. There's three of them. Yeah, there's, so there's Goddess of the Hunt. And then the second one is like the best friend of the girl in the first book. And she runs away and goes on like a pirate ship or like a, it's not a pirate ship, but like kind of that sort of vibe, pretending that Ooh. she's a governess because she's running away from like a marriage she doesn't want. Oh. And so that's a lot of fun. And it's got the like, um, so the guy who's like captaining the ship used to be like a, like a profiteer or something but he and his brother have decided to go legit and his brother's like you cannot seduce the governess when we're on our first legit voyage so he's got this trope of he's like i can't touch her Ooh. and so there's like simmering tension of like no i promised that i won't touch you oh, so good. you're selling us these books right now i know <laughs> this happens on every catch up and chill i just end up adding all the books and i always say i'm gonna read it that's gonna be my next read so i feel like i'm gonna say it again and these are gonna be my next reads <laughs> tessa Torres just she does like with her romance it's very like the sort of romance that i sort of like to write to it's very female-centered and like unapologetically yes. desirous and I think a lot of the time when you read historical romance, especially ones that are not written so recently, it can be very, you know, like there's like the way that the female desire is written about is kind of, it's a little bit icky sometimes. So it's really yeah, refreshing I to agree. see like historical romance written with like a very modern sensibility. Um, and for contemporary, I really, really love Sierra Simone. So like the Swan Chapel series. Interesting. So good. It's like this. I mean, I would probably look up like the, the content warnings for it because it just, it's really, it's <laughs> yeah. really weird. It's like the weirdest <laughs> book, but it's so good. It's kind of like a romance novel crossed with like dark academia, crossed with like, I don't know, Fifty Shades of Grey, but like not bad. And it's like, just I don't know it's like nothing I've ever read but it's so beautifully written and it's so weird and just it's excellent I've got the very last book as an ebook to read and I'm looking forward to finding out what happens to everybody at the end of it now very taboo those that very her taboo. romances are very taboo <laughs> yeah I started reading the priest series too yes. and that's like kind of it's just I like it though but it's I think sometimes when you're writing in YA, you have to be like understandably very aware of like the sort of rules about yeah. what yeah. boundaries you can and can't push. Um, yeah, I have a lot of feelings about when people want to get sort of moralistic about what is acceptable and unacceptable to write in YA yeah. because like, you know, there's like a very wide range of experiences that teens have. And I think it's good for them to have healthy models of that, even if it yeah. is kind of like messy, but in terms of like writing a romance or writing like a dynamic even between letter and the lord under i have to be very aware of like keeping a a balance where it wasn't of getting too iffy but reading something like sierra simone is like it's very enjoyable for me as like an adult reader where i can go mm -hmm. okay like you know this is totally transgressive but it's okay because this is like a kind of book where the rules don't need to apply so exactly yeah so it's a nice <laughs> escapism that's something I love as a romance reader. Like, I mean, I have hard limits as every exactly. romance reader does, I think. But um, I always find that super comforting to just know that, like, no matter who you are, there's romance books out there for you. Yeah, mm -hmm. I, I find it really fascinating. Like, the whole, like, I read, I went sort of down this rabbit hole and read the, like, 
Drax series where it's like gr- like green alien sort of things and Ooh, I'm just like we love yeah. <laughs> and I'm just like this is like this is wild to me I love that there's like you know there's a whole lot of people out there who are really into like horny alien books and people are writing them um, yes over here <laughs> yeah they're right here <laughs> they're really if you haven't read them they're really good there's like I think there's a rule in rain um I can't remember the third one but it's kind of like you know earth has been like taken over by aliens and like they helped rescue them or something and so now they have this kind of program where you can go and like live on the alien planet to like either be like a breeding person or be like a servant like a nanny and then in the first book like she's going to be a nanny but she accidentally gets switched around with like the promised human who was meant to marry the king Oh my gosh. And it's Who's like, the author? Um, oh gosh, now I can't remember. Hang on, let me look it up. Okay. <laughs> this is like right up my alley. We need the name. <laughs> <laughs> it's So it's called the Drax series. So D-R-A-A-X. And it's by Elizabeth Kelly. I'm going to add that to my list yeah. right now. So there's Rain, Rule, and Rebel. And also like the kind of like the... The trope is that like they uh, like to share partners as like a social thing. So oh. it'll be yeah. So it's like you get like your green alien boyfriend and then like his friend who is like that's the blue partner. alien and then the red alien as well. They're all green. They're all <laughs> oh. green and they have tails. So we love I love tails. tails. <laughs> I'm I'm really bad. I love it. Everyone comes here to like hear about my gothic romance and I'm just like horny aliens, but. <laughs> It's fine. It's the right place to choose. do that. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's fun. I love reading all of those sort of like weird kind of romances. Like uh, historical romances are probably my favorite because just the aesthetics are really, you know, like the beautiful dresses and things like that. But sometimes yes. it's really fun to read something that's just completely out there. So, But also all the rules in historical romance. You can't do this. You can't touch that. Yeah. Yes. I like that a lot about Bridgerton. Like the yes. whole sort of, you know, oh, like yeah. the, when you get to touch somebody's hand without a glove on it or something, it's just. Or like, like when the ankle makes an appearance. Yes. <laughs> Ankles are shocking. <laughs> or like, oh no, like we've spent the night alone. Like I'm going to be compromised even though nothing happened. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's a really fun way to sustain tension, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And are you a Lisa Claypass fan? I don't think I've actually read anything by her. I know <gasps> the name, but... Oh, maybe I have. I'm trying to think. I think there might have been one... Was there one where it was like... She was meant to marry the guy's father, but then she ended up marrying him instead? Was no, that that's, her? I think, Lauren Heath. Okay. No, I'm getting confused. Yeah. Like, I think I've seen the covers of her books amongst, like, other... So I'll have to add that to the list, though. I've heard the name. Yeah, yeah. we love them over here. On Romancing the Monsters. <laughs> we are strong Lisa Claypass fa- fans and stands. We're stands. <laughs> yeah, okay. we're stands. <laughs> I will have to look it up. What's her best series, do you think? Oh, she does like the Wallflower books. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. No, I've had lots of people recommend them. I would start with the Wallflowers. You have to read them in order, though, and you have to start with, again, the magic. Yes, again, the Those magic. Those are the rules. <laughs> I just Googled it and like the first thing that popped up is like, what order should I read the Lisa Claypass books? (laughs) Well, their order is wrong. Mine is right. (laughs) Okay. Again, the magic. (laughs) Definitely. All right. I'll add that to the list. I feel like once I turn in my deadline, I'm going to have the best time just reading everything because it's so hard to focus on anything else apart from editing when I'm doing revisions. But 
it's so nice in between and I'm just like, yes, I can finally catch up on all of the romance novels and everything else. Well, speaking of your sequel, Forest Fall, we know we can't fish for too much information and, and <laughs> we're just, we're going to try to fish anyway. <laughs> but um, if you can, what are some tropes that we can expect in the second book? Okay, um, let me think. So you get to find out the Lord Anders' true name which is so fun. So there's like a bit of like a fairy like name trope situation happening. Um, There's like lots of Raylo Force Bond vibes. Um, Mm -hmm. Nice. Kind of maybe some like Darkling Alina sort of magic kind of situation. Okay. Okay. Excuse me. Um, (laughs) Can we have it now? So the book is coming out uh, tomorrow? I just, yeah, I think I remember reading the Grisha trilogy when I was still, before I queried Lake Surge and I was just like, ooh. And then like, I think I did a revision and like the person who was reading it for me was like, this feels very much like the Darkling. Maybe you just need to take a little bit of distance. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. I just have a lot of feelings. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the whole like Darkling and Alina doing the magic together is mm. very, I'm into it. Um and like that scene in like Shadow and Bone where he puts the collar like in her skin. Look, I know that I'm not supposed to find that hot, but you know, but me we too. All do. <laughs> <laughs> me too. <laughs> like I know, I know it's like a terrible moment for her, but also like I would totally let Ben Barnes put a weird collar in my skin. It's okay. I, I would let him put anything on me. <laughs> yeah. Also, they made it way creepier in the show. In the books, I it know. Wasn't yeah, in the books creepy. it wasn't. I really loved how creepy it was in the show. Yeah. Like, not just from like a romantic point of view, but just that was, it was really cool how they pushed it. I think mm-hmm. it was very effective. Yeah. All right. Well, that, that was a little bit tidbits, but I love them. Um, if you can, what are uh, three words you would use to describe uh the second book. Raylo, Darklina, and... <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's definitely got, like, a very, like, Darklina, Raylo. Um, I shouldn't have said that. We would have gotten different have words. Have <laughs> so, there's, like, this fan art of Star Wars. Or maybe it's not even fan art. It was, like, from, like, the art book. And it's got, like, Dark oh. Ray sitting on the throne at the end. Yeah. Like, so that is kind of the vibe. So it's, like, this very, like, Dark Ray kind of vibe, I think. I am ready. <laughs> Those are more than three words, but I am ready. Do we need to ask the last question, Seth? Because this is painful, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I just realized we're going to have to wait until next year. But it's okay. I mean, it's so I'm excited. It's, it is wild to be writing a book like and years it's like in advance, me- yeah. yeah, like in, over a year before it comes out. It's just, it's really strange. It's exciting. <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question about the sequel, I promise. Um, on a scale of one to ten, how many, sorry, how much monster loving is there going to be in the sequel? Like, oh, I don't even know. Maybe like, I guess if Lake Such was like, uh, five then the forest falls probably like an eight out of ten <gasps> Ooh, that was okay. my when my I editor know. first read it and she's just like you made it even more romantic than the first one so yes I kind of just like like it was this sort of if I had to write a sequel I was going to just put everything in it that I wanted so there's lots of like kissing and romantic scenes and it's just yes very fun love that uh, I'm so excited uh right so we want to end this with rapid fire questions 
you know, oh. just to try and see what's in your subconscious. So you have to answer <laughs> real quick. Okay. And I'll be taking notes. No, I'm kidding. I promise. <laughs> we will be, uh, Steph and I will be analyzing your answers and trying to come up with the plot of book two. Okay, my, I've made it clear that my, like, subconscious is just like David Bowie and the Labyrinth, <laughs> basically. <laughs> All right. So are you ready? Yes, I'm ready. Okay. Ben Solo or Kylo Ren? Um, Ben Solo. <laughs> Bloodthirsty but misunderstood vampire or dark wizard lord? Vampire. Interesting. Dark side or light side? Dark side. Hades or Persephone? Hades. <laughs> <laughs> a dramatic cape or a beautiful bejeweled crown? Um, I think a cape. Mm. The Phantom or the Goblin King? The Goblin King. But that is a very hard decision. <laughs> yeah, that one's hard. <laughs> Winter solstice or summer solstice? Summer solstice. Interesting. Haunted mansion or creepy lake? Hmm. Haunted mansion. A secret ritual under the full moon or a romantic escapade at dusk? Um, secret ritual. <laughs> Fangs or claws? Claws. Epic redemption arc or villain origin story? I like redemption arc. I think villain origin stories sometimes spoil like the villainness. Mm. Or sometimes it's just really tragic too. Yeah. And then like I mean I liked Cruella. That was like that was a good villain yes. like story, origin story. That was a good one. Heathcliff or Rochester? Um oh <laughs> maybe Rochester just by mm. the tiniest bit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Reincarnated lovers or immortal lovers? Mm, I'm going to say immortal lovers because I've been playing Witcher 3 and I'm very into like Geralt and Yennefer. Even though they're not immortal, but they live for a long time. And it's their dynamic is very fun. Potion of youth or potion of love? Potion of love. Lost at sea or lust in the woods? Lost in the woods. I feel like that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually really, really don't like the ocean and deep water, which was like funny because I chose to write a book you about live in like, creepy water. Terrifying. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, slow burn with eventual smut or arranged marriage between enemies. Ooh, arranged marriage between enemies because the tension there is just perfect. Insta-love or insta-lust? Mm, insta-lust. And lastly... Happy ever after or happy for now? Mm, I'm going to go with happy ever after. Yeah. We have to. <laughs> we have to. And last one, Lord Under or Rowan. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I can't choose between the two. I like, I, it's, I, I both of them. If I, I, I can't pick. <laughs> it's like my covers. Everybody's like, which cover do you like best? I'm like, I really like them all. I don't actually have a favorite. So the same. Like, I think... Probably, like, Rowan is, like, a better boyfriend because he actually tries to be a good person. But, mm, like, yeah. Bullard and just, like, he's, he, has, he has his charm. Yeah. <laughs> I love your covers, by the way. Um, yeah, They're so beautiful. All of them. All right. Well, I mean, we won't keep you for longer because we know you have a very, very busy schedule right now. <laughs> um, so thank you so much again for joining us and discussing your book and all the things that you love, including Raylo and Hades and Persephone. And Lord Death. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, um, the best things. Yeah. 
So before we go, um, do you want to quickly tell people where they can buy your book um, so that they can go out there and do it? Yeah, I mean, it's basically available. I guess by the time this comes out, it will be available everywhere. And yes. Obviously, support your local indies. Yes. The best. Um, books and yes. Books in Florida have been hosting my pre-order campaign, and I will be having my launch with them, or will have had my launch with them by the time this comes out. So they are definitely lovely, but... There's so many wonderful bookstores in the US. It's very exciting. So yeah, it's available probably wherever, hopefully wherever you can get books and or at libraries. Do you want to also maybe tell people where they can find you online? Where they can find me? Um, I'm mostly on Instagram and my Instagram handle is lkclipstone and I have a website which is just lindellclipstone.com. So between the two of those, I think is usually where I post the most. Updates. Well, I mean, we wish you all the best with yes. this release. It is your <laughs> debut after all. So. I know. I can't believe it's finally here. It just feels like I've been sort of, it, it's been coming up forever. And now it's like, oh, okay. <laughs> I'm so excited. And it's just, it's both terrifying and amazing to put this book out into the world where it will now belong to all of the readers rather than just just to me. Well, we loved your book over yes. here at Romancing the Monster. So it was such an honor to talk to you and pick your brain about book two and also about this book and just fangirl with you. It was lovely. Great. It was so fun talking with you. Thank you for having me. Um, and just a reminder, uh, Seth and I did discuss this book at length uh, in a different episode. So if you want to go check that out, uh, it is up there. Um, if you want to find us online, uh, we are on Twitter at the RTM pod, as well as on Instagram at romancing the monsters podcast. You can also email us if you want to at romancing the monsters podcast at gmail.com. And, um, we're on TikTok though. Not very uh, active stuff. <laughs> uh, um, can... hello. I have an amazing Lisa Claypass one. That's I've been, True. I think I've posted it a long time ago actually from this. So yes, I will be more active by then. I have <laughs> such respect for you. I've tried so hard with TikTok and like, there's this kind of thing where everybody's like, Oh, Adam Silvera got really big on TikTok. I'm like, he was already big. You don't need to make a TikTok yeah. to be famous as an author. Like, at least I hope not, because it just makes me feel like the mom from Mean Girls when I'm just like, ah. <laughs> Doing the dances. I'm cool. I'm cool. <laughs> yeah, they're dancing along with them. I'm just like, I made a couple of videos, so I'd have something on there, but I'm just like, no, I can't. <laughs> no, it's hard sometimes to like make those videos and edit them and like make sure they look good. But yeah, I'll get on that, Mark. Yeah, it's like I have so much like respect for people who can do like the amazing sort of really clever or funny ones. It's just I've made a few and they are a lot of work. It's fun, but yeah, I don't think I could do like a huge amount. Yeah, you will, you definitely will not find dances on our TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. Uh, but if you do want to find it, it's Romancing the Monsters Pod. Uh, and if you want to find me specifically, I'm on both Twitter and Instagram at Foes and Lovers. And I'm also on both Instagram and Twitter at Pros with Woes. And that's it. We'll see you next week, guys. Bye. Bye. <laughs>